Welcome to the Belgium Fintech Magazine, the place where digital finance fans can discover and learn all about the latest trends in our industry. I'm Alessandra, the CEO of Fintech Belgium, and I'm very happy to collaborate with Kuhn from The Connector to co-create this interview. In this episode, as we explore the upcoming PSD3 regulations and their effect on open banking, Kuhn is joined by Philippe, an experienced fintech lawyer and partner at Simon Braun. Philippe expertly guides us through the complex world of European financial laws, giving us a fascinating glimpse of what's in store for the financial landscape. I don't know you, but I'm looking forward to that. And don't forget, if you want to keep the conversation going and meet Philippe and other captivating experts in person, let's see each other at the digitalfinancesummit.com in Brussels. Kuhn, the floor is yours. Welcome to another podcast episode. And today I'm here with a lawyer. Philippe, who are you and who do you work for? Thank you, Kuhn. So uh, I'm Philippe Depré from uh, Simon Brown. We're a Brussels-based uh, law firm. I'm a partner there and, uh, and a fintech lawyer. Mm -hmm. And since uh, 2014, um, I'm part of their digital finance uh, team. And we're doing all things uh, legal, regulatory and, uh, and fintech. So we're there for Belgian clients, uh, but we also specialize in welcoming foreign entities mm -hmm. uh, wishing to set up their you know, business or rolling out their services uh, in, in Belgium or in Europe through Belgium. So through Belgium, so passporting. Passporting, uh, a lot of that, but also you know, uh, services that are not passportable and just you know, under the local regime. So we, we do both. So a lot of regulator interaction a lot of discussions with the regulator, mm -hmm. uh, looking sometimes for exemptions, uh, advisory work in general, when you know new products are coming on the market, when they're disruptive, the regulator wants to know about it before it hits the market. And and also, yeah, the aftermath of audits sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, solving issues, uh, all, all that type of work, basically. So your, your shop is open for all these kind of questions. Absolutely. So talking about being open, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, open banking. Yes. And uh, a lot has been set around PSD2, but nowadays there is PSD3 coming yeah. up. So could you give us a little bit of insight? What is your view on that? Sure. So uh, PSD3 has made a lot of noise uh, since mm -hmm. the summer. The, the texts were released, uh, the draft proposals were released by the commission at the end of June. Uh, and since then, there is a lot of talk about these texts. Uh, but basically, this is just the beginning of a process. Uh, so the Commission has now come up with a, with a proposal, and this fall, uh, the Member States will start to discuss on the level of the EU Council mm -hmm. how they can find a compromise on these texts. And then only after that, we're taking it to the Parliament. So basically, we're looking uh, for final text level one, final text at the end of next year, more likely even the beginning of 2025 as a timeline. And the expectation is that a lot of what we have today in mm -hmm. the proposals will change uh, between now and, and, and the final text. And then we have also, as you know, in European regulation, a lot of level two regulations. So mm -hmm. the, the EBA, the, the European Banking Authority, has received a very wide mandate to come up with uh, guidance, uh, regulatory technical standards. And when we will see the final text, uh, level two, it will be probably 2027, 2028. So it's the beginning of a process but a very interesting process because now is also the moment that fintechs can, um, in a way, interact with that legislation because mm -hmm. the member states are discussing this and basically for the member states, 
uh, the, the central banks, the supervisors are discussing or starting to discuss among themselves, okay, how, how can we find a compromise? And, and in Belgium, the National Bank of Belgium is typically opening up to the sector and saying, okay, please give us, you know, your input, mm -hmm. either directly, individual institutions, or also through industry organizations like Fintech Belgium or also Pay Belgium, you know, channeling all that input so that the NBB can take that on board and, and use it in, in the negotiations. So it's early process, but it's it's a very interesting timing for, for institutions that want to participate. Mm -hmm. And can you already give us, although maybe things will change, but can you already give us a tip of the iceberg? What would be your top two things that are drastically changing yeah. in comparison to PSD2? Well, in, in honesty, there isn't a lot of drastic change. Uh, if 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 the question is is this a revolution like like PSD two was then mm -hmm. then our answer based on the current state of the text is definitely no it's more it's more of an evolution it's more of an implementation of of the lessons learned under uh, under PSD two one of the highlights uh, is is basically the, the disappearance of e money institutions as a, as a separate category mm -hmm. of uh, of institutions they they will no longer exist but it doesn't mean that e money itself will disappear so as of as of the implementation of psd3 and psr you will basically have uh, payment institutions offering just payment services and then those also offering uh, e money uh, services oh interesting interesting you yeah you still talk about money um, psd2 as such was somehow narrowed to to cash Yes. So what what's what's happening in all the others? Because the, the crown jewels in banking not only lie within cash, but also with investment, pension, saving. Well, you name it. There's so many other things. Yeah, that is that's a, that's a good remark. Basically, uh, PSD two was the creation of open banking, and so there was a lot of you know a lot of celebration around that. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you look at the scope of open banking under PSD two, it's extremely narrow. It's just, as you said, you know, it's it's data on payment accounts. It doesn't even include saving accounts. Not even all accounts are included mm, in, true, in, this, true. In, this, in this open banking. And uh, at the same day that the commission released the PSD3 and, and PSR texts, mm -hmm. it got a bit snowed under because everybody was, you know, talking about those texts. But the same day, they also released other proposals. And and what we find typically interesting in connection to your question is, is the, the proposal on... Uh, financial information data access. It's called FIDA. Mm -hmm. And it's in a nutshell, basically open banking for all types of financial information. So beyond, you know, payment accounts, it includes savings, mortgages, uh, credits, insurance, um, pensions, crypto assets, all of that information uh, when, you know, when FIDA will, will come live one day and as it looks today, will be part of, of, of open banking. So all of that information will be shareable. Mm -hmm. And so financial institutions will both be data holders, but also data users. And um, there will be a new category of, uh, of entities uh, created, the financial information data service providers. And mm -hmm. a bit like, you know, in under PSD2, uh, with uh, the account information service providers, this new entity will be able to build a lot of services around all of this financial uh, information. Mm -hmm. so will that also be an obligation by the financial institutions to share all that data that you just mentioned? Yes. So in the same way as under uh, PSD2 for the payment accounts, there is now also, of course, if the data 
subjects agree, so basically the clients of those mm -hmm. financial so consent. Exactly, mm -hmm. consent. It will be able, you know, the, the, the institutions will have to release that information. So typically, you bought a house, you got a, a home insurance, uh, let's say, and so two years later, you know, you want to change insurer. But, you know, you, you already went to a very painful process of having an expert, you know, taking pictures, mm -hmm. filling mm -hmm. out forms. And, and basically, two years later, you will be able to just, you know, notify your old insurer saying, can you please transfer all of that information to my new insurer so that he can already use that information. The same, the same would go for MIFID questionnaires as an investment mm -hmm. service provider. You can simply say, okay, well, I, I already filled that out. I already gave all that information. They have history on me. Just please pass it on to my new or additional uh, service, service provider where today those institutions have no, you know, no incentive to, to share that type of information because a lot of clients will refrain from changing provider because they don't have to go through that type of uh, process. Yeah, and at the yeah. same time, there's no full harmonization either on that process at this moment. Exactly. So this was yeah. probably will also be pushed in the next uh, coming, coming years. We're always looking forward now, maybe more, a bit more concrete. There has been the... Um, the credit directive that has been adopted just recently with some interesting thoughts about uh, buy now, pay later. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. What's happening there, Philippe? Well, uh, for the moment, nothing, but we expect that things will happen in, in the coming 18 to, to 24 months. So we've all seen the rise of, of buy now, pay later providers. Heavily. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. So for, for those who are unfamiliar with, with this concept, it's, it's, it's basically allowing... Uh, acquisitions to be made of, of goods, services uh, through deferred payments. So you can pay something in two, three, uh, typically four times. Mm -hmm. um, and um, from a regulatory perspective, uh, and that's also a reason why they've grown so substantially over the last years, this is a very light regime. So basically they fall completely outside the consumer credit uh, regulation, mm -hmm. while in essence... It's doing are, the same thing. Yes, it's mm -hmm. credit. It's called payment but it's credit in disguise. And so this has been uh, criticized a lot by, by regulators, but also by the larger public opinion, because it's, it's targeting uh, a segment of, of the population that is already sometimes suffering from, uh, from indebtedness. And so under this new, and that's not a proposal that has been uh, adopted, but it still needs to be uh, implemented, mm -hmm. these buy now, pay later service providers will fully fall within the consumer credit regulation. So it needs they need to be licensed and they need to follow conduct of business rules. And the conduct of business rules, it's typically they have the obligation to provide a lot of pre-contractual information to mm -hmm. their clients. They need to collect information, see whether you know this client is fit for credit or not. And they also need to interact with the credit register. All of that is 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 not there today. It's basically a bit of a of a black zone in which those buy now pay later service providers uh, operate. And we do expect that this will lead to a lot of changes in the sector itself. Uh, potentially some of the smaller players won't be able to cope with this type of, of regulatory burden. Mm -hmm. And we'll see some, you know, some providers pulling out of the European market in general, because a lot of them come from, you know, the US or Australia, uh, and, and they might just decide to no longer be active on the European market. Or we will probably also see some consolidation and, 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 uh, few institutions you know mm -hmm. putting things together and, and and continue as such so it's uh it's something that you know uh i wouldn't say we're looking forward to it but it's it's uh, it's gonna it's gonna 
it's going to change the market of buy now, pay later significantly. Mm -hmm. Sure, depends which side of the coin you look at, right? If you look at the the vulnerable people, then it also makes sense. Um, well, you're talking about um, almost like not something we look forward to, but at the same time, one of the topics of uh, DFS is about regulations and regulations being an opportunity. Yes. What What does your thought on that? Yeah, I. I definitely think that regulation can be an opportunity. And in Europe, we don't have much of a choice. I mean, we have to see it as an opportunity because the cliche mm -hmm. goes that, you know, in, in Europe we excel when it comes to regulation and we regulate first and then we do business afterwards, unlike the US or, or, or Asia. So I think we should see it as regulation. For certain types of regulation, it's very difficult to identify the opportunity mm -hmm. as a service provider. Um, I'm, I'm making a jump now to, to the crypto industry mm -hmm. uh, where we've seen recently beginning of this Mika. year in Belgium, Mika is coming up, but there you can still, you know, identify uh, uh, an opportunity in a way that it will, you know, come to a single license and you get your license in one member state, you can passport it out. But what we've seen uh, in Belgium, for example, with the marketing rules where Belgium as, as one of the only jurisdictions in the world is now imposing um, the use of, of, of very aggressive disclaimers like saying mm -hmm. that the only guarantee in crypto is risk that is something that needs to be published on all of the on all of the platforms when you when you focus uh, or when you solicit uh, belgian consumers but followed by a very long list of warnings of everything that potentially could go wrong mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. uh, investing in, in in crypto i can imagine that for a crypto service provider it's very hard to see you know the upside of that type of regulation even though you know it's again about uh, certainly about justified consumer protection. But you know what we just discussed about FIDA, uh, the Financial mm -hmm. Information Data Access uh, Regulation proposal. There it's it's clear that there is, you know, potential upside because we will be dealing with a unique framework in Europe where financial institutions are forced to open up to share data mm -hmm. where, you know, normally they wouldn't have a real incentive to do that. And it's a unique situation. We don't see that in any other, you know, jurisdiction or geographical zone uh, in, not, in not at that extent right no not definitely not to that extent and so this is for me definitely something where you know smart agile fintechs can buy uh, can can build sorry a lot of uh, a lot of additional and interesting services so so there it's 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 for sure an uh, an opportunity yeah. cool well thank you very much for sharing and uh, time flies when you're having fun <laughs> So we are already at the end of our uh, podcast. Um, maybe one more last question. Um, where can people find you? Apart from being at DFS, obviously. <laughs> obviously, we'll be there with, with the whole team. So so come come see us. Um, very easy. You can connect on, on LinkedIn or you go to our website, simonbron.eu, and, and you can find, find all our information there. Perfect. Philippe, many thanks for joining. Thank you also to the audience and uh, stay tuned for more interesting news from Fintech Belgium. Thank you very much. Thank you, Queen. Pleasure. Thank you for this great moment and thank you for joining us for this insightful discussion. We hope you enjoyed it. Our ecosystem is full of visionaries, innovators, entrepreneurs and thought leaders, which make all these conversations exciting and fascinating, actually. So don't miss any of this content by subscribing to our YouTube, LinkedIn and podcast channels. And most importantly, see you in Brussels at the digitalfinancesummit.com.